Hey everybody, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast. Fantastic to have you listening again. I hope you're all safe and well, whether we're still under lockdown when you're listening to this episode or not. Um, Fantastic to have Michael Boren joining me today, um, who is the CTO of Beck Technology based over in Dallas, the United States. Michael, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, Lawrence. Uh, absolutely. It's uh, it's great that we can still use the power of technology to do these things, even uh, during the current climate. Absolutely. I feel like technology has been a bit of a savior recently. I think so, yeah. I think uh, Zoom had definitely seen some uh, benefits from it in their shares, but hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine how bad this would be if we would have uh, not had technologies like Zoom. Uh, if this would have happened, say, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit today about how to um, get the sales team on board with stretch goals within OKRs, actually, um, amongst a few other things. But before we get on to that, Michael, just tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, your background, who Beck Technology are and what, what they do and, you know, your role within the organization. Absolutely. Right. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm Michael Boren. I am the Chief Technology Officer for Beck Technology. Uh, we revolutionized the pre-construction industry. Um, we basically are a software provider that focuses on trying to drive information as early as possible in decision-making for commercial construction projects. Um, we have found that the kind of the built environment, as we would uh, like to call it, so hospitals, offices, theaters, that kind of thing, um, has one of the biggest impacts on humanity uh, that there is. And so the, the better the built environment, the better the standard of living um, just around the world. And so that's a way that we found to really impact um, just the people that we, um, that we, I guess, all live with, right? So one of the things that, uh, that kind of really got me into this is I, I came from commercial construction. Actually, I, that was my job when I was getting a degree in software. Um, and you got to kind of see firsthand how flawed the system is Right, and then right. the impact that has on just the people around you. And if you ever see a hospital that doesn't make it to construction, um, you kind of start to think about the impact that has on, on the people around you and mm-hmm. how many lives could have been saved if we would have just had a, a much better process. Uh, so long story short, um, that's, what our, that's what our company really focuses on. I uh, co-operate the company. So my boss is our CEO. Right. He heads up the sales um, services uh, side of the organization, so kind of sales marketing implementation. Mm-hmm. And I'm responsible for our product development, quality assurance, technical support, um, that side of the organization. Okay, interesting. <laughs> You've been with the organization quite quite a while, that's right? 22 years now, yes. That's pretty impressive, I would say, these days to uh, come across anyone that's been with an organization 22 years. So kudos for that. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, you must have seen a lot change within the business then. I have. I have. Yeah, it's really come quite a long way. Um, you know, the construction industry is usually held up as the um, least innovative industry out there. So they usually end up graphing the progression of construction innovation along with the progression of farming uh, innovation and farming usually exponentially um, increases while construction doesn't. And then uh, over the last probably five or 10 years, we've started to really see an uptick, um, which has been really nice to be able to see what you knew 
could be true actually start to become true. And you start to see the impact that the technology and that uh, kind of the change in focus toward innovation has had on construction. Mm. Yeah, that must be really fantastic, actually, to have kind of lived through that that curve. I suppose you're you're coming down the other end of the hockey stick now. Uh, well, I mean, I'd like to think that I'm living through it, and this is only the beginning. I, I hope I hope this is not the uh, the apex for sure. Yeah, absolutely. No, well said. Good point. So, um, well, in 22 years, I suppose, in the, in the organization, you must have seen a lot of different um, performance management techniques and goal setting techniques and all these different things. Um, but when did you first come across OKRs? Yeah, I have definitely seen a lot of very, very, very bad goal setting techniques. <laughs> uh, I first came across OKRs um, early last year. Actually, it was completely by happenstance. Um, one of our leadership team had been reading through measure what matters from John Doerr and, um, basically kind of like offhand made the comment like, Hey, here's one of the books that I've read. Um, it's really about goal setting and we're pretty much already doing it anyway. So, you know, Hey, it's just, it's just good to know that we're doing the right things. And then, uh, I picked up the book just to kind of check it out. And I quickly realized that. Uh, although we are setting goals, we weren't doing anything like OKRs. <laughs> okay. Uh, so um, that was quite eye-opening, and it really, really changed the game for me on how we set goals and hold each other accountable. So what was it about OKRs then that made you decide that you wanted to change the way that you were doing things? Man, there are two big pieces to OKRs that I think um, really drove the change. One is the transparency. So unlike other goal setting where we would have these annual goals, maybe at best quarterly goals, yeah. um, you know, you would set them and not really communicate them outward. And you certainly didn't provide access to them uh, for others in the organization. Uh, and then the other one was the ability to really challenge those objectives. Mm. Uh, so to me, you know, those are the two really big pieces of OKRs that set them quite apart from the other goal setting tactics we've had in the past. Right. Um, but I really, really love the fact that, you know, an intern within our company can challenge our CEO's uh, quarterly objectives mm -hmm. in an open public forum and they get praised for it, not chastised. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that comes down to culture, not just OKRs. But um, yeah, absolutely. That's what you, you need to be striving for. Right. So when you started out with OKRs then early 2019 how were you um how were you making them transparent did you have a uh, dedicated piece of software or were they on posters on the wall or spreadsheets well um like any initiative uh, it initially started out with zero budget and zero time so <laughs> our first our first go at it really was uh to put all of the objectives in a google sheet right. and then track them that way and i think you can imagine that probably wasn't the best way to go about it. Um, but we, we kind of knew that going in. We knew that it was going to be pretty subpar. Uh, so, yeah, our, our, our first stab was basically putting everything in an online spreadsheet and then trying to track it that way. Okay. And things got pretty messy pretty quickly, did they? Or Oh, my gosh. It was horrible um, in a lot of respects. That was actually the, the Achilles heel of the entire system at the time was really you couldn't find objectives. You could barely find your own objectives. So I did take some stabs at organizing the, the sheet and trying to group things and color code things to make it easier for teams to find. 
their objectives. But because it was in this big flat list and you had to sort of scroll through everybody's objectives. I mean, if you had, I think at the time um, we were probably about 60 employees still. And then each, each person may have had four OKRs and each objective would have had, you know, four or five KRs. Yeah. Uh, it was just a lot of data and, and people basically just became numb to it quite fast. And, uh, it's the document itself really started to lose traction, yeah. um, probably within the first month. Mm-hmm. It can turn people off the process quite quickly. You have to be really careful. Um, right. So uh, presumably then you've changed the way you do that now. We have. Yeah. So, um, knowing that that was really the, 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 the kind of linchpin of the whole thing is we, uh, we did go out and look for different platforms. Mm. Um, there are a number of really good OKR platforms out there. Yeah. Uh, and we ended up settling on a product called 15.5. Right. And that's treated you well. It's been fantastic. Yeah. One of the things that I really, really love is, is that not only is it a good product, but the company culture at 15.5 really aligns well with ours. Uh, and perfect. so it's really easy to be able to talk with their teams and work with them to get things done. Yeah, uh, that's really good to hear. So when you um, first introduced them to the company then, you, you mentioned then you had a headcount of about 60 people. Um, did you try and introduce them to everybody straight away? We did not, although I, you know, if, if it would have been up to me, we probably would have. Um, but at the time, the, what we'd basically decided is, is uh, I would introduce them to my half of the organization. So we basically started with the development side. Right. Uh, so quality assurance development, um, tech support, and then we have a group called the Innovations Labs. Mm. Okay. And how come you would have done it differently? Well, I'm extremely passionate about OKRs. Um, you know, knowing that you're just not going to get it right, uh, especially out of the gate. Uh, I think it's better for the for the company to be together as one. Plus. Uh, honestly, at the time, we were having a lot of internal issues between um, our sales and marketing group um, and then sales and development. Um, and a lot of it was really just driven out of a lack of transparency. Sure. So, you know, people often end up having sort of these narratives in their head when they don't know what somebody else is doing. They, they often just think that they must not be doing the right thing. Okay. And, and I felt that OKRs would have been a perfect solution to start to expose not only kind of, hey, this is what they're doing to sort of alleviate a lot of that concern that was kind of popping up between the departments, but also to allow those departments to kind of openly challenge. And I think that would have really helped align the teams better. Okay, so have you you rolled OKRs out further into the organization now? We have, right. So so now we are fully company-wide. So January 2020 was our first first go at having everybody in the organization uh, use OKRs. Mm. And it might be slightly too soon, but have you managed to see any of those silos starting to break down yet and that impact you were looking for start to change? You know, I really have. So it's not too soon. Um, it, it, so I actually had a lot of struggles initially with our sales team. And, um, you know, in between, I think, first engaging with Therapy Giants and this podcast, we've actually seen that particular team sort of 180 on OKRs. That's awesome. Uh, so they're really starting to embrace them now. So what, you know, what was the sales team beef with it then? Well, um, I think the struggle is, is that the sales team, just like most sales teams, have an extremely well-defined process. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of that process is built around activity, and they already have goals, and those activities drive toward those goals. 
And so when you show up with something that looks just like what you already do, I think the initial, the, the natural question that comes to your mind is, is, well, why would we change? We've already got this down. We already have a process. Mm. And, um, I, ironically, I think it was because they already had such a well-defined process and they were already so good at setting, uh, goals toward things like revenue and activity that it prevented them from really being open to exploring something different. Yeah. Yeah. We see that quite a lot, actually, not necessarily with sales teams, but, um, certainly with development teams and project management teams, um, can often be quite resistant to, to changing. Well, it's not even asking them to change the way they're doing things, but just sort of, um, alter the way they, they come up with and write their goals, I suppose. Mm. Um, how did they feel about stretch targets? Um, the company in general or sales specifically? Both. So I, I think I think all in all, they really like stretch targets. Uh, I think the trick with stretch targets is really around the messaging. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think if you message the stretch targets uh, in OKR speak as a committed OKR, um, then it's not a stretch target anymore. And then you end up having unrealistic demands. Yes. But I think if you can message it as an aspirational goal, and then you allow for some varying degree of failure, then stretch targets uh, take on a new meaning. Hmm. So do you make it very clear when you're setting your key results, then which are aspirational and which are committed? We do. Yeah, we specifically label them, actually. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I think that's a good idea. And do you tend to have more aspirational or more committed? Well, I think it varies um, on kind of the group. Some groups have more aspirational. Some groups have more committed. Sales, for example, would be heavily committed. Um, You know, they've got some pretty pretty specific targets they're trying to shoot for. Um, And then I would say, you know, for example, I mentioned earlier our innovations labs. Uh, Those would be a bit more aspirational. Mm. Yeah, there's a little bit more room, not to fail, but to kind of fall a little bit short, isn't there, I suppose? Yeah, well, there's just, I would say there's so much opportunity. And and I think um, when you you just don't know what kind of opportunity uh, is out there, like how big something could be or how how far you can go, uh, you really don't want to set the guardrails too tight, um, you know, and, and have them limited in their terms of thinking. But I definitely want them to know that if they don't make you know, if they don't shoot for the moon, um, you know, that's okay. If you don't make it, uh, at least you try. And I think we often get most out of those groups that way. Yeah, no, that's really good to hear. One of the things we're starting to notice is um, companies in different countries have, have a really big um, variation on how they react to stretch targets, actually. Because I know in the States in particular, stretch targets are very common and very um, kind of just the way a lot of companies operate. Um, but we've worked in in different companies in different countries now where that's really not quite the case. So I think your message there uh, and for the listeners to take away, defining which ones are aspirational and which ones com- are committed is really important. Right. Yeah, I do. I do feel that a lot of that is cultural. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think if, if your culture is such that you have to hit target. And I think even the book uh, Measure of Matters uh, discussed that a little bit is some companies' cultures, uh, you know, basically everything is an aspirational goal and yeah. you're not expected to make anything. You know, if, you, if you've if you got nothing but green lights across the board, then, then something's wrong and then you're phoning your goals in. And in other organizations, 
um, if everything's not committed and you have these aspirational goals and it's demotivating. And so the, the teams become demoralized because they didn't make their goals. And so I think you kind of know maybe uh, what culture you're operating in and then set your goals accordingly. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing OKRs, which helps teams achieve their objectives, be really aligned and stay absolutely engaged. Shared spreadsheets simply don't scale when you're trying to grow a business. With Koan, you can scale OKRs across your entire company whilst keeping teams motivated and moving in the right direction. Now, Lawrence, I'd love you to tell me about one of the things that you like about Koan. Uh, well, for, for me, it's all about the reflections that, that Koan offer and encourage. And to be honest, this is really what sets Koan apart from me. And, and actually, at There Be Giants, it's why we use Koan, isn't it? Yeah. Um, we have always believed here at There Be Giants that the value of OKRs is in the conversations that you have. And the reflections feature really helps you to prepare for these and have super productive ones when the time comes. It allows for full transparency and it encourages every individual to reflect on how they've supported OKRs over the, the past week or two, what they're going to do next to, to support those OKRs, but also gives people an opportunity to um, raise any concerns that they have that, that might be a blocker in the next couple of weeks and also just provide an honest reflection on the week. And it's really rare that we get the chance to do that in, in our hectic lives these days. It certainly is. It's, it's a super important habit, and, you know, it's, it's what we describe as the habit of heroes, really. So that is definitely my number one feature of Koan. Thanks, Lawrence. That's really useful, really good to hear. So if you want to find out more about Koan, all you have to do is go to koan, uh, that's K-O-A-N dot co forward slash giants, where you can actually find a great paper on how to develop uh, accountability and collaboration using OKRs. So that's a special little freebie from us. So you mentioned in the uh, in the research call with Jill then that you're a bit of an analytics geek, Michael. Um, have you fallen into the trap of trying to have all your metrics inside your OKRs then, or have you managed to keep that spotlight quite well focused? Well, I'd say philosophically, if there's a trap to fall in, I think I've fallen in it at least once. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I definitely, I definitely like to uh, kind of learn from my mistakes, apparently, because I make quite a bit of them. Um, so w I would say that we've definitely had a lot of focus on on having metrics inside of the OKRs as much as possible. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know, I know right now they're not all in there. We have a whole bunch of metrics. I am very much a data geek. Mm -hmm. Um, our whole business is built around that concept and it's definitely a piece of who I am. Um, but yeah, I, I think for us, you know, we, we put in as much as we can, uh, yeah. and then everything else we, we find other tools or other methods for measuring. That's good. Yeah. So you, so you've got a lot of KPIs within the business then. Yes, I guess it depends on how granular you get, but I mean, even for just to pick one department in general, say support, there might be 30 different, you know, kind of KPIs that we look at to, to see how well uh, we're operating and then to give us some ability to look into the future to see how well we're going to operate. Mm, absolutely. No, and that's, that's definitely the right way to use KPIs and OKRs, you know. Um, the analogy we quite often give is that if you imagine you're you're in a car and the sort of mission of the company is your destination, then 
your KPIs are what's on your dashboard. You know, they're your health metrics. They are your fuel level, your speed, um, all those different things, oil level, water level, basically what tells you if you're going to survive the journey. Um, right. Same in business, they're your health metrics. But the OKRs are more like the sat-nav. You know, they tell you the steps along the way, how you're going to get there, um, you know, which junctions you should take to make the most efficient route, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we believe that's how OKRs should be used. But that doesn't necessarily mean that KPIs can never enter the OKR. Um, you know, what we say is, okay, if your fuel level was to fall into the red zone, you would put in where's the nearest petrol station, you know, where's the nearest place that you can top up. So feel free to drag it into your OKRs. But the the important thing I think here for the listeners is that once you've dragged it into your OKRs and you've put it back up to a healthy, safe level, um, you know, you've topped up your fuel tank, as it were, you can take it back out of your OKRs then to make sure the spotlight isn't shone on it per- permanently. Um, so that's kind of the analogy we use for KPIs coming in and out of OKRs during different periods. 100% agree with that. And being a car guy, I really love the analogy. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it is a useful one. I think it strikes uh, a chord with a lot of people because it can be slightly confusing at first, the difference between KPIs and OKRs and what should enter where, when. Um, so hopefully that's helped a few listeners. One metric that you guys do track that I'm super interested in, um, and we've, we've touched on culture a little bit already, you guys track happiness across the organization yeah we do we do it's actually the only metric we track across every individual all right Um, yeah it's it's it is crucially important for us i think i think it that term has a lot of different uh flavors uh depending on who you ask you know when we adopted 15.5 was actually one of the reasons why we brought them on is they have this uh, concept of a company pulse right Um, but our happiness is a scale of one to five Mm-hmm. And their pulse was a one to five scale as well, also tracked across all people. Right. Um, but we find that particularly useful because from my experience um, as a leader and as a manager of peoples, um, if somebody is happy in what they're doing, uh, they will outperform by double or better um, people who are not happy, even if those people who are not happy are twice as good at their job. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't agree more. It's, it's, it's so important. And it's just overlooked by 99.9% of, of companies and managers out there, I think. So true. And I think, too, if you, if you make it, if you bring it to the forefront, you force the conversation. And a lot of times, um, and this is maybe getting off of OKRs a little bit, but I definitely have a soapbox on it, is a lot of times I think what happens is, is these, these softer conversations around how people are feeling, um, you know, how, how the teams are treating each other, you know, any of that stuff, what's going on, even in their home life, um, has such a huge impact on everything around any given individual and the managers aren't having those conversations. And so simply by tracking it, simply by just having to ask the question, it's, it kind of tees up these conversations that otherwise wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I completely agree. And actually, I don't think it is getting away from OKRs at all. So I think the two go hand in hand. Um, those open, honest conversations, if they can happen across the board, peer-to-peer, um, you know, manager to to um, subordinate and vice versa, depending on how holocratic your, your setup is, your hierarchy is, then also people start to be more honest about how they're tracking towards their key results, right? 
you know, because right. um, the, the last thing you want is people throughout the quarter not being honest about the progress they're making towards an OKR and then you're ending up in trouble against at, at the end of the quarter. Um, so for me, it's all, you know, pieces of the same puzzle, which is that company culture that has to be right for OKRs to thrive. So true. So true. Um, yeah, it's such a natural human instinct too. You know, it's not that people want to lie. It's just, they don't want to give bad news yeah. and they don't want to be unsuccessful. Mm. And so they'll try to find a way to spin things in the most positive light possible, but that ends up giving you really bad data. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, those, so those, those conversations that take place off the back of the the happiness index, then what does that look like? Is that one, one-on-ones between manager and um employee or it is it is for the most part that's that's exactly where the time is spent um at beck technology if you manage anyone you are required to do a one-to-one at least once a week usually for about an hour wow that's that's the employee's time that's the team member's time um with the manager so it's more their meeting and the manager just sort of helps facilitate that um, but yeah, it's, it's often just a, uh, you know, a checking in, Hey, I see you checked in with a two or I checked in with a four. Yeah. Um, the cool thing about like the platform we're using with 15.5 is, is that it even allows the uh, team member to kind of give a little bit of color prior mm-hmm. to the one-to-ones. And then we track all that over time. So kind of going back to my data analytics geekiness side of things, it's really great to be able to see the trends. Yeah. Uh, which by the way is, is that's the real value. It's not the, it's not the number per se. I've got some team members who um, are just always happy and some who basically reside in between a, you know, a two and a four. Um, But you really look for the trends and are they going up or down? And I think it kind of gives you a little bit of an indicator as to what's going on in somebody's life and Mm -hmm. enables our managers in those one-to-ones the ability to have a timely kind of, I don't know, intervention maybe, a strong word, but the ability to kind of to jump in and, and help them when they need help the most, instead of having team members sort of sit silently and suffer. Mm. Okay, so just coming back to the the sales teams for a second, then, um, what was it that you think has changed over the past month or two that started to see them get on board with OKRs slightly more? You know, it's hard to say, honestly. I think there are two things that were, um, that may have impacted this, but I don't know. Uh, One of them is, is that I've really started to try to have a much tighter relationship with our head of sales and spending time one-on-one with him, uh, just, just basically building the relationship. And I think, I think because I'm such a proponent of OKRs, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as our relationship strengthens, I think he's a little bit more, um, apt to kind of consider these things. Whereas before it was just like, oh, okay, here's an, yet another initiative from leadership. Sure. Um, and, and I, and I wonder too, if, you know, everybody having to work from home in a global pandemic has also, uh, kind of been enough of a, a jarring, had enough of a jarring effect that it causes people to look for opportunities to do things differently. Yeah. Um, as potential solutions to problems they're experiencing because their teams are now working remotely. Yes. Yeah, that's a really good point. We um, we did a webinar with the guys at Coan the other day, actually, uh, about working remotely and using OKRs during the current crisis. And somebody asked a question of, you know, is this a terrible time to first start using OKRs, basically? 
And actually, I'm not sure there could be a much better time to start using OKRs if you're not using them already. Um, because it, it really starts to force those conversations and the alignment and the motivation and, and the one common goal that everybody is striving for right now and everybody wants. Um, and I think ironically, if people get into the best practices in terms of conversations and check-ins and routines now, um, that will stand them in really good stead for when they get back to working in the office because they'll be so used to doing it. I would absolutely agree with that, 100%. Mm, interesting. Cool. So finally then, Michael, um, same question that I ask all our guests right at the end of the podcast. If you had one piece of advice you could give to a company that wanted to either just get going on their OKR journey or were maybe you know two or three months into their OKR journey, what would that piece of advice be? I would say that you should set your expectations correctly. I think um, you're going to mess things up. Uh, you're going to struggle trying to find the right objectives. You're going to have people who don't get it. Uh, and that the message should be that that is expected. Yeah. I think every quarter you're going to get better and better. And what I would say is, is that if you start OKRs now, in 20 years, you're still going to be doing OKRs. Mm-hmm. And in 20 years, you're still going to be getting better. Yeah. I think if you can message to your team that you are going to routinely mess things up and that's okay. And that's part of the plan. I think it really helps smooth out a lot of the roadblocks that you traditionally would hit around having, you know, bad objectives or not knowing what to set or not knowing how to measure it or what have you. Yeah. I could not agree more with that. Um, it's quite disheartening when you see people just give it a go for one quarter or even less time than that. and it doesn't work perfectly for them. So they completely give up on the whole initiative. Um, people really do have to be realistic in the fact that it's going to be difficult for at least the first two or three quarters and it's going to be confusing and you're probably going to mess it up. Um, but that's okay just to keep going with it and breathe and give yourself some space and, and keep on evolving for as long as you possibly can to make sure the, the process gets better for you. So true. Yeah. A broken process is better than no process at all, or at least you have something to improve. 100%. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Completely agree with that. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for, for joining us. Lawrence, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. No problem at all. Really, really appreciate it. So again, thank you to everybody for listening. Um, I'm, I know for a fact you will have taken a lot out of this podcast. It's been a really, really good one. Um, let us know your thoughts using hashtag GiantTalk on LinkedIn and Twitter. And please, 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 if you're enjoying the podcast, go to whatever platform you use and and make sure you review it Um, and just let other people know that it's got some good stuff in it and, you know, that you're enjoying it. We'd really, really appreciate that. Um, But until next time, uh, stay home, stay safe. I hope you're all well and uh, we'll chat to you next week.